chapter 7, the Gospel of John. Here we go. Verse 25 is where we're going to pick up. We got through verse 24 last week, continuing on our Believe series in the Gospel of John. While you're turning there, we're going to say real loud the key verse, uh, John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. It just gets better and better every week. I know some of you are like, we're going to repeat the same thing again. Well, until you guys get it. Then we'll move on. Uh, I'm kidding. No, I'm not kidding. Uh, John 20. I'm just being serious. Uh, say this real loud with me. Jesus' disciples saw him do many other miraculous signs besides the ones recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you... I messed it up, huh? I was thinking. I was thinking. You guys did good. I'm glad y'all can read. Last week, Jesus went to the Festival of Shelters. Remember, we talked about it just briefly. And he began to teach in the temple. He wasn't going to go, and then he decided he was going to go. He goes, and he does a little teaching. In our text today, we're going to get a glimpse of what Jesus was teaching about. The crowd has a question on their mind, and Jesus has the answer. The crowd is wrestling with the question... Is Jesus the Messiah? Whenever Jesus first comes into Jerusalem, some of them are saying he must be the Messiah. Others are saying, no, he's a deceiver. We can't trust him. Can't believe it. For the Jews, this is an extremely important question. You with me? Is Jesus the Messiah? For the Jews, this is a big deal because they have been anticipating the arrival of the Messiah for literally thousands of years. See, I like making you wait for it. See, it's a dramatic effect. Wait for it. So sometimes I hear myself on the radio, and I'm, I'm listening kind of, and I'm driving, and then this radio goes dead. I'm like, what's wrong? Turn the volume up and down. Oh, there he comes back on. The pauses are funny anyway. has nothing to do with anything. Ugh. They've been waiting. Have you ever waited a long time for something? Have you ever waited thousands of years for anything? Seems like a thousand years huh? sometimes. They've literally been waiting since, uh, since Genesis 3 for God to send his man. This is a really big deal to the Jews. So proving that the Messiah is here for these Jews in John chapter 7... These Jews proving that the Messiah is here would be internet crashing news. See, that's funny because they didn't have the internet. Anyway, tough crowd today. Maybe after thousands of years of disappointment, time has made the Jews a little skeptical about... Here's another guy who's a little crazy and says that he's the Messiah. So the Jews are being skeptical. In your notes, you have the points for this morning. Let me uh, give you a little bit of a heads up. What I did with our notes today is I didn't come up with any creative titles. I don't usually come up with creative points. I just take the paragraph and basically whatever the thesis of the paragraph is, is the point that I put in the bulletin. That way it's kind of a quick reference to what uh, it's in the outline of the text. And so whenever we come to point one and it says he cannot be the Messiah, I don't want you to take offense to me, okay? I took that right out of scripture. 
That's not my words. That's, that's between John and Jesus and the Holy Spirit, okay? So number one, he cannot be the Messiah. The question on the table is, is Jesus the Messiah? Number one, he cannot be the Messiah. Verse 25, hopefully you're looking along with me in your scriptures to make sure that I'm teaching the truth and not just making this up. Some of the people who lived in Jerusalem, so we're talking about Jews most likely, started to ask each other, isn't this the man they're trying to kill? They being the Jewish leaders. But, verse 26, but here he is speaking in public and they say nothing to him. Could our leaders possibly, could our leaders possibly believe that this Jesus, that he is the Messiah? But how could he be? Read this carefully. For we know, everyone say no. We know where this man comes from. When the Messiah comes, he will simply appear. No one will know where he comes from. That's it. They made their judgment. Jesus cannot be the Messiah. It's not possible that he could be the Messiah. He does not meet their expectations of what they think the Messiah should be. He doesn't fit the box that we've drawn for the Messiah. So even though he comes and performs miracles, even though he claims to be sent from God, even though he comes and is a prophet and speaks things that are amazing, he doesn't fit what I think the Messiah should be. So therefore, he cannot be the Messiah. They have criteria in their minds that the Messiah must meet. And Jesus just does not meet that criteria. They have determined with their own understanding that Jesus is not the son of the living God. Are you seeing the flow of logic here? Jesus comes from Galilee, as far as they know. And they are confident that when the Messiah comes, he will simply, poof, appear. No one will know. Where do they get this stuff? They don't even have TV to fill their heads full of nonsense. But they, here they are. They are convinced that when the Messiah comes, my grandpappy told me that when the Messiah comes, he would just, poof, automatically, just out of thin air, appear, and no one would know where he comes from. Have you ever heard the saying, you don't know what you don't know? You don't know what you don't know. That should be a famous teacher for teacher, a famous saying for teachers, right? Teachers, you're there to teach them what they don't know, and the little brats act like they know it all. There you go. We have some, for all those teachers, special prayer. Parents, too, this is true. Yeah. Yeah. You don't know. All right, okay. You don't know what you don't know. The great thing about being ignorant is you don't know that you're ignorant. Right? Ignorance is bliss. You can just kind of get that dumb look. I don't know. I don't know. 
what? I mean, most of us were teenagers, so you know exactly what I'm talking about. Because most of us who went through teenagehood, when we were teenagers, we knew everything. We did not know what we didn't know. And then all of a sudden, it happened again this week when my son leans over to me and is like, Dad, did you know that popcorn at the movies is like five bucks? No, I've never bought popcorn for four people and drinks. Take a Benjamin Franklin to the movies and make it poof, disappear. No, I didn't know that. You don't know what you don't know. But I love it whenever my kids finally are learning what they don't know. I'm like, oh, they are going to make it. They are intelligent. I love them. I love them. It makes me very proud, it really does. Because there's some people in their 30s that still haven't realized that things cost, right? All right, enough about my family. These people, these people in this story, they have conjured up their own idea that the Messiah would just appear. I didn't put it in my notes, and I believe that it's Romans 1, maybe Romans 2, where they talk about how men in their own wisdom create these idols made out of wood or made out of metal, and then they bow down and they worship to them. They conjure up in their own minds what they want to worship. They create their own God, and then they worship what they created. Now, these people here have not created an image of any sort. They've just created a Messiah that is not biblical. Are you with me? In Romans 1 and 2, he said, these people are fools. Because you think that if you carve an image out of a piece of wood that it has some sort of divine power, you're ridiculous. And then we come to, to Roman, or to where are we at? What book are we in? John 7, and we have these people who are Jews. They would be resistant to idol worship, but they, in essence, do the exact same thing. If only they knew the scriptures. If only they had read their Bible. If only... They had been doing soap. <laughs> Hallelujah. Then they would have known that the prophet Micah, among many others who had prophesied about the coming of the Messiah, but Micah specifically says, but you, O Bethlehem, Bethlehem, everyone say Bethlehem. Bethlehem. We're headed for Christmas, right? But you, O Bethlehem, are only a small village among all the people of Judah, yet a ruler of Israel whose origins are in the distant past. Kind of like John 1.1, in the beginning was uh, the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All the way back to the beginning, whose origins are in the distant past, yet a ruler of Israel whose origins are in the distant past will come from you on my behalf. If they had only read the scriptures, if they had only understood who the Messiah would be because they had read the instructions instead of coming up with their own nonsense. Oh, it's easy to make fun of them because we would never do something like that. 
the Messiah was coming from Bethlehem. If they'd only known, if they'd only asked the right questions, instead of saying, Jesus, we think that the, the Messiah is just going to appear, uh, uh, or why didn't they say, Jesus, where did you come from? But they already had in their minds, Jesus comes from Galilee, and those guys are like all grubby fishermen. They're blue-collar, blue-robe guys. <laughs> but in ignorance, watch this, watch this. In ignorance, in self-confidence, yeah, I said in self-confidence and ignorance, it's a dangerous combination, they determined that Jesus was not the Messiah they were looking for because from what they knew, Jesus, this man, came from the wrong place. So he just can't be the Messiah. This story should strike fear in every one of our hearts. You can be confident and wrong. Yeah, we're guilty of it in the church because we do this thing where we create our doctrines and then we swear by them. Um, I'm going to deviate for a second. Allow me a little latitude. We have scripture that teaches us the truth of God's word. And then in a human attempt to distill scripture into more, a more understandable form, we create doctrine. And so it, it is a step away from scripture. Are you with me? And you can disagree with me. We can fight it out later, okay? We take these doctrines and then we become very confident of our doctrines. And guess what we defend? We defend doctrine. We very seldom defend what the word of God says. Well, I believe nobody gives a hoot what you believe. Well, my church has a statement of No one cares. These guys knew what they believed, and they were wrong. I'm trying to get you into the headspace that you would question what you would swear by. Because these guys bet eternal life on being right, and they were dead wrong. Because they didn't read the book. Your only defense against arrogant ignorance is to make a habit of educating yourself in God's instructions, not your own speculation. There's a reason for me coming down so hard on this today. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of on a soapbox uh, last month or so of people making doctrinal statements that are not biblically founded. Things that are going on in Christianity that people will swear by that are just wrong. Yet mainstream Christianity has picked up some ideas. I'm going to blame it on Hollywood, but it's from Hollywood. It's from our own egocentric, humanistic ideas that we insert into Christianity. Instead of reading the scriptures and coming up with a biblical Christianity, we just do it by the way we feel. And then we have a humanistic Christianity and we pass that on to our children. And it's not the truth of God's word. Back to your notes, Brent. I didn't tell you guys, I have like 20 pages this morning, so we're in trouble. Uh, we may need popcorn. Your expectations of God will most likely lead you. Your own expectations of God will most likely lead you to your own disappointment with God. Are you hearing me? 
Every once in a while, people will confide in me that God has let them down in some way. God didn't do what they, what they, what they, what they wanted God to do. I don't have a stuttering problem. I want you to hear yourselves. Well, God didn't do what I wanted him to do, so I'm not going to go to church anymore. What? What? You, God didn't do what you wanted him to do? Sure, he's up there just waiting for you to give him commands so he can do whatever you want. No, 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 no. God didn't, they get upset because God didn't do what they, what they thought that God uh, should do or that God didn't do what they wanted him to do. God does not exist for your pleasure. If that is your expectation, you are going to sorely be disappointed in God. God didn't give me what I asked for, so I'm going to pout. God didn't heal my loved one like I thought he should, so I'm going to be upset and mad at the creator of the heavens and the earth. I'm going to stand against the God of eternity and shake my fist and tell him why I'm right and he's wrong. You know what we do with toddlers that do that? Some things just don't need to be said, huh? All right. On the other hand, on the other hand, those who read about the glory of God in the Bible. Now, I'm not saying, please find the balance in the, in the, in the scriptures where God is not just waiting for us to tell him what we want so that he can provide it. The other hand, the other side of that is that those who read about the glory of God in the Bible, we get to see the fullness the full presence of God, the glory of God in our lives every day. Even in the suffering, we see God glorified. That's incredible. But that doesn't fit some of the Christianity that we are promoting across America. Those who did not know the scriptures of God said... He cannot be the Messiah. Um, it's kind of been brewing in the back of my mind. I tell, I, tell, I tell Thomas sometimes and I tell my wife sometimes about ideas that I'm having down the road for a series. But one of these days, I am going to tackle maybe one sermon, maybe several sermons on commonly held beliefs that are not biblical because we have, we have a bunch of ideas that are creeping into Christianity um, that are just not uh, they're not biblical, and maybe they do cause a problem. Maybe they don't. I don't really know, but I think, I think we need to take a swing at some of these things that are, uh, we're just letting go. Um, I say that just as a tangent. I don't know when or where or how. We're going to be in John for a long time. Jesus may come back before we finish with John, uh, and I'm fine with that. So hopefully you believe and have eternal life. And you're not believing some nitwit idea that you got put in your head. Number two, here we go. John, uh, Jesus is going to say, God sent me. Verse 28, while Jesus was teaching in the temple. Remember, that's kind of the setting that's going on. He called out. I like that he says he called out. He doesn't just say, hey, everybody, you know, I, I am uh, the Messiah. 
He calls out big crowd of people there to celebrate the, the uh, Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Shelters. The, they're there to celebrate. They're all there. Everybody's gathered around. And Jesus, the crazy man from Galilee, he calls out, yes, you know me. And you know where I come from. He's not arguing with him. But I'm not here on my own. Absorb that for a second. I'm not here on my own. The one who sent me is true. The one who sent me is true. I'm not here on my own power. I'm not here on my own will. I am sent by the one who is true. That's an important word. And you don't know him. Well, that's offensive. But I know him because I come from him and he sent me to, to you. Jesus, even in correcting these people, he's incredibly compassionate. He's con confrontational and offensive, but he's compassionate. God, the God of truth, I know him, you don't, but he has sent me to you so that you can know him. Verse 30. Then the leaders tried to arrest him, Jesus, but no one laid a hand on him because his time had not come. We're going to come back to that later. That's a great little phrase there uh, in verse 30. I think it's intriguing that Jesus does not offer Old Testament proof that the Messiah would come from Bethlehem and that he was born in Bethlehem, right? Right? That would have been the way to correct this. Jesus could have said, I'm sorry, I insert myself into the story a little bit, and whenever I insert myself into Jesus' shoes, it always gets a little hairy, right? Jesus could have said, if he thought more like Brent, he would have said, hey, you dummies, roll your scroll to the prophet Micah, and you'll see the Messiah does not just disappear or appear, pardon me. Read the instructions, boneheads. <laughs> and I, that's what I would have done. Jesus, because he's full of the glory and the grace of God the Father, doesn't. Jesus doesn't correct their incorrect assumption. He just keeps pointing them toward God the Father. That's incredible. See, I would need to prove them wrong so that I can prove that I'm right. But Jesus doesn't. He just guides them to truth, the one who sent him. Jesus' response is, I, watch this, because I'm kind of shifting gears. I come from God. They said, you come from the wrong place. And he doesn't even address that. He just says, I come from God. Not I come from Galilee or Nazareth or Bethlehem and make my case. Jesus just says, I come from God. Jesus' response is pointing them towards God the Father. His response is, God sent me. God sent me. I'm not going to argue with you about uh, Bethlehem. I'm not going to argue with you about Galilee. I'm not going to argue with you about just ghosts poofing and appearing into thin air and just I'm not going to argue with you. Jesus' response is God sent me 
to you so that you might believe and have eternal life. Jesus is focused like a laser on what is important. He's not gonna get distracted with arguing appearance, disappearance, geography. Jesus just says, God sent me to you so that you might believe and have eternal life. That is what is important. For Jesus, he's saying, where I was raised, where I traveled from, is insignificant. What is important to these Jews, what is important to you and I, is God sent Jesus to you. That's kind of the message of John. God sent his son, the Messiah, to you so that we can know the glory of God the Father. That's incredible. My dad, he was the ultimate peacemaker. Always the peacemaker at home. Um, Act like she's not here, but my mom liked to have big discussions. You know, we'd argue and we'd talk about things that maybe we shouldn't talk about. Uh, But we had lots of fun with mom. And then my dad would come into this intense conversation and he did it all my childhood. My mom will remember. My siblings will remember. My dad would insert himself into a conversation and say something, he would say something along the lines uh, in a very flippant way. He would say, well, what does that have to do with the price of tea in China? (laughs) And as little kids, we're always like, I don't, I got to think of what the connection, what about the price of tea in China? I don't, I don't even know what the price of tea in China is. So I don't know how that relates to this big argument that we're having that now I forgot what the argument was about. (laughs) My dad was a genius. What does that have to do with the price of tea in China? I don't know. My dad was too kind to say, hey, this is a stupid, pointless argument. Shut up and find something productive to talk about. (laughs) Yeah, Jesus has the message of eternal life where he is from is completely unimportant. God, you got to get this under your belt. God sent Jesus to you. Own that, absorb it. That is absolute eternal truth that will change your life forever. That is worth talking about instead of getting distracted with, well, where did Jesus come from? Did he just appear or did he, is he from Nazareth too? Ugh. Before we go on, we can't overlook verse 30 because I like verse 30. Then the leaders tried to arrest him. Who was him? Jesus. But no one laid a hand on him because his time had not yet come. Now, Jesus has just dominated this discussion. It's a public discussion, okay? Everybody's listening to what's going on. They challenge Jesus with questions. He pushes back with eternal truth and just elbow smashes them. The Jewish leaders can't handle the truth. So they decide... We can't out-argue Jesus, so we will arrest him. That's what we'll do. However, they did not arrest Jesus because his time had not yet come. Who sets the time? 
God the Father sets the time. So listen to me very carefully, because some of you are going to get all sideways as I go along here. The question on the table is, is Jesus the Messiah? Is he the Son of God? Is he part of the triune God? Is Jesus the Messiah? Is Jesus God? The will of God the Father. Oh, now, now, so I'm going to tie all this together here in a minute. I'm going to put some thoughts out here, and then you're going to get angry at me. And then hopefully I can pull you back together, all right? Is Jesus the Messiah? The will of God the Father, the will of God the Father is not affected by the will of man. And you should write that down because that's offensive to some people. But I'm going to explain it to you. The will of God the Father is not affected by the will of man. God has a plan to demonstrate his glory. Part of that plan is to give you eternal life, which demonstrates his glory. Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. He is the Messiah. He's the Son of God. He is God. And no Jewish council, no angry mob, no strong-willed person or strong-willed nation is going to stop what God is doing. The Jews wanted to arrest Jesus, but they did not because God the Father has set a time. And he said, the will of man is not going to affect the will of God. That's what's in the text. You can get angry at me if you want. Okay, Brent, so what does that mean? How come and why does that affect me? Here's why. There is confidence in trusting. There is confidence in trusting that the will of man does not affect the will of God. There's confidence in knowing that all the stupid things that you guys do doesn't mess up God's will for my life. I know that's a very narcissistic way of saying that, but at least I got your attention. Because you know there's some boneheads in your life that are absolutely, from one perspective, messing up God's will. And you're thinking, who's going to worry about this? Because if somebody doesn't worry about this, these other knuckleheads have totally messed up God's will. How will we ever get back to what God wants and his glory? Your perspective is wrong. Your perspective is that when you make a mistake, God falls off of his throne. <laughs> and he doesn't. In fact, in the text, they decide to arrest Jesus. And what happens? No one touched him. Not a finger. Why? Because it's the will of God. So here's what's been on my mind. This is extra text. You have to give extra in the offering now. Uh, peripheral to what's going on in the text of John. And it's, uh, I don't, I'm not really prepared to articulate this. So I'm going to put it out here and see if I believe it or not. Okay. Uh, I don't think that as a church, because most of us have been in church for a while now. So it's not like we're speaking to unbelievers. My perspective, I'm not going to offer my opinion, okay, is that the church doesn't have a problem believing that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. 
We're fine with that. Our disconnect comes is that I do not believe that God is God. I really believe that I am God. I should get my way. I know what is best. I have desires that I want. And if God doesn't give them to me, then I will figure out a way to subvert the creator of heavens and earth to get my way. Now, how does that apply to Christianity? It is this, we use Christianity. Oh, I'm so far off of my notes. We use Christianity like the people in verse 25 to be the God that we want God to be. God, I need more provision in my life. So God, father of heaven and earth, give me more. I want my family to be good people and to go to heaven. So God, I want you to do what I want you to do and I want you to heal my family and spiritually intervene in my family. I'm gonna go ahead and live like a heathen and I'm gonna not read your word and live in honor of you. I'm just gonna live however I want, but I want you to miraculously intervene in my life and make it the life that I want. Does that that make any sense at all? We have no problem with Jesus the Messiah. We have a problem with God's will encroaching upon our will. And that's where we stop. When I was younger, okay, when I was a lot younger, I really enjoyed the debate of God's will versus free will. I went to a Bible school that took a really hard line stance. And so I would play devil's advocate and argue and really mess people up. And as, I grow, as I've grown up a little bit, I'm kind of like, what does that have to do with the price of tea in China? <laughs> right? Your will, I'm so far off. Your will, uh, your will, really, your will? God wants something for you. Do you want what you want or do you want what God wants for you? We want what, I hope. I mean, if you read the Bible, you, you find out that God wants something for you that's, that's beyond what you're even capable of imagining. I mean, you imagine this much and you ask God for this much. And God's like, you know what? If you just give up and quit, I'd give you this much. All right. I had another thought, but I'll tell you later. All right. Now I can keep your attention. Verse 31. So Jesus He's not going to get arrested. Verse 31, many, everyone say many. Many among the crowds at the temple believed in him, Jesus. Remember how this started out? They're like, he's not the Messiah. He came from the wrong place. After some amount of discussion, many among the crowds at the temple believed in Jesus. After all, they said, would you expect the Messiah... We've all been trained in what the Messiah would be and what he's coming to do. Would you expect the Messiah to do more miraculous signs than this man Jesus has done? Is it even possible that the Messiah could do more than Jesus? There's a lot of details that are evidently left out of the story. It seems possible that the crowd just witnessed the attempt to arrest Jesus. He miraculously evaded being arrested right before their eyes. 
Are you with me? This is the Jewish council. These are the people who have authority among the Jews. And so if the Jewish council wants to do something, they do whatever they want. And people fear them. We read that previous in John uh, chapter 7, that the people were afraid to speak in favor of Jesus because they were afraid of the Jewish council, the leaders. So these people have some authority. They have a reputation for getting things done. They said, we're going to arrest Jesus. And then they didn't. So the people are like, whoa, something just happened here. Whatever they saw, whatever it was that they saw. Now, maybe Jesus slipped through the crowd and they just were not able to grab him. Maybe they said, let's arrest him. And everybody was like, you go first. Maybe they just never made the actual attempt. Who knows? Whatever they saw, many among the crowds at the temple believed in Jesus. They saw something that resonated in their heart and their soul that said, this is bigger than a crazy man at the festival of shelters. Jesus claims that God, God the Father, for the Jews, Elohim, the creator of heaven and earth, has sent this man, Jesus. Jesus obviously performs miracles. Jesus obviously does things that are are unexplainable by what we understand about this world. People who perform miracles are not normal people. He must be the Messiah. In fact, it is not even reasonable for us to expect greater miracles from the Messiah than what we have seen Jesus perform. It all, everything that we've looked at, everything that we've seen, it all points to Jesus must be the Messiah sent from God to you so that you can believe and have eternal life. Yeah. Number three, Jesus says, I will return. This isn't the return that we're thinking about because on this side of the cross, we get to think about Jesus coming back for the saints. And that's not what he's talking about here in verse 32. Verse 32, he says, uh, when the Pharisees heard that the crowds were whispering such things, why would they be whispering? The crowds are whispering because they're afraid of the Jewish leaders. They're whispering these things about Jesus could possibly be the Messiah because he works miracles. The Jewish leaders are not arresting him like they said they were going to. They haven't killed him like they intended to. A whole bunch of things that are, are happening are happening uh, that are out of order. They don't seem to be making sense. The Pharisees heard that the crowds were whispering such things. They and the leading priests, the Pharisees and the leading priests, they sent the temple guards to arrest Jesus. This is a picture that we've seen before going into the Garden of Gethsemane. Not before in this story, but before because we've read the end of the book, we know how the story goes. The temple guard, these are the, the guard that are, it's the church greeters that are buff and bad dudes. Hairy, muscular guys with weapons. That's what we need for greeters. This is, these are the temple has a guard, and they send these military men from the church to arrest Jesus because the Pharisees and the leading priests said, "Hey, temple guard, you're going to go arrest Jesus." Are you picturing this? So here they all go. I don't know. They had weapons of some sort. They had their spears. They had their swords. They're going after Jesus. They're going to arrest Jesus. That's the picture. Then Jesus, but uh, verse thirty-three. Sorry, I got all excited. 
But Jesus told them. <laughs> I, this is so funny to me. Not, not to you, evidently. Here comes the temple guard. 15, 20 guys, sword, spears. We're here to arrest you, Jesus. Jesus says, but wait a second. Let me say something. Okay. Okay, Jesus, whatever you got to say, go ahead and say it. You know, Farmington police shows up to your door to arrest you, and you say, hang on one second. I need to speak to you. They don't go, okay, we'll wait for you to decide when we can arrest you. Jesus, because, because he's God, he told them. They come aggressively, offensively. He says, I will be with you only a little longer. You don't need to arrest me because I'm leaving. Oh, okay, well then we'll go back and tell the temple priest that... <laughs> Why didn't you arrest Jesus? Well, because he said that he was going to leave. And so we didn't want to arrest him. That's the story. It's ridiculous. That's what God does. He says, he says, I will be with you only a little longer. Then I will return to the one who sent me. Jesus is back to his proclamation that he comes from God. And now he's saying, I will return back to God. Then I will return to the one who sent me. You, this is, this is where it gets a little darker. He says, you will search for me. He tells the temple guard that's come to arrest him. He says, hey, I'm not going to be here very long. I'm going back to the one who sent me. You will search for me whenever I leave. You will search for me, but you will not find me. And you cannot go where I am going. Now, if I was a police officer, I'd be like, oh, yeah, watch this, dude. I would be, I would be a bad police officer. Do you see what Jesus is doing? It is difficult to know if this is the same arrest incident as verse 30 or if it's a different occasion. We just really don't know. The point is, Jesus is going to leave. He says, I will return to the one who sent me. Jesus told them where he was going vaguely. He doesn't say, I'm going to go to heaven. He doesn't say, I'm going to go back to Galilee. He just says, I'm going to return to the one who sent me. And Jesus told them that they would search for him they would look for Jesus, but they would not be able to find him and that they could not, they were not even able to go where Jesus is going. Now, he's left a bunch of the details out, and so it's kind of a cryptic message. We'll look at verse 35 and see if we get any clues as to what's going on. The Jewish leaders were puzzled by this statement. See, they don't know any more about it than we do. Jewish leaders, they're puzzled. By this statement, where is he planning to go, they asked? Because remember, they still do not believe that Jesus is from heaven. So whenever he says, I'm going to return to the one who sent me, they're like, doesn't make any sense. Is he going back home to Mary, you know, to mama? We, we don't know. We don't know what he's doing. The Jewish leaders were puzzled. Where is he planning to go, they asked. Is he thinking of leaving the country? This is hopeful thinking. Is he thinking of leaving the country and going to the Jews and other lands? Maybe he'll teach the Greeks. Ha! How crazy is that? Uh-huh. I mean, he's crazy. 
So it would make sense that this Jewish guy who says he's the Messiah, sent from God, he's, gonna, he's probably going to go to the Greeks. <laughs> he's a nut. What does he mean when he says, you will search for me, but not find me? Because quite frankly, that's a little offensive, that you will search for me and you, you won't find me. And you cannot go where I'm going? Really? These verses show us just how faithless the Pharisees were. Jesus tells them that he is going to return to the one who sent him. The implication being that Jesus will return to God the Father. Jesus is overtly claiming his deity. He is saying he is God. And the Pharisees are totally bewildered by Jesus' words. What could he mean? These men who think of themselves, these Jewish men, these leaders, these Pharisees, these men who think of themselves as God's chosen people, these men who have it figured out and are confident of their doctrine, they are clueless. When the Son of God stands before them, even claiming to be the Son of God, they miss it. They don't even understand the words that he's speaking. The Pharisees question in verse 36, what does he mean when he says, you will search for me but not find me and you cannot go where I'm going? What does he mean? The Pharisees are used to going where they want to go, right? The Pharisees do what they want. They're kind of large and in charge. They're under the rule of Rome, but as far as the Jews go, they go where they want to go. And they find whomever they want to find. If they want to find you to collect your temple taxes, they will find you. They will send the temple guard and they will shake you by your heels until they get the temple tax. How is this mere man from Galilee going to hide from the powerful Jewish council? It's actually pretty simple, and it's easier for us to understand on this side of the story because we know how it all plays out. Jesus has actually already explained in the previous chapter, in John chapter 6, how this works in verse 44. You should write that down. John 6, 44, he says, no one can come to me. Jesus is speaking. No one can come to Jesus. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them to me. The only way that these Pharisees can follow and find Jesus. Are you following me? The only way that these Pharisees and these Jewish leaders can follow Jesus and find Jesus is if God the Father draws them to Jesus. They are used to being the ones who get their way. 
They do and go wherever they desire. Now Jesus, this apparently crazy man from Galilee, tells them that he is leaving and they will not be able to find him. They will not be able to follow him. They are incapable of going where he's going. They attempt to arrest him and somehow he evades their authority to arrest them. They publicly denounce him, yet the people accept him even more. The more they try to assert their will and their desires on Jesus, the less control they have of God. The most powerful religious people on the planet have no control of Jesus. None whatsoever. That's what's in the story. Is Jesus the Messiah? Is Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, come to you and I so that we can believe and have eternal life? Is Jesus the Messiah, the third, one of the three parts of the Trinity? Is he God incarnate? How many ways does Jesus have to prove to us that he is the Messiah, that he is the Son of God, sent by God to you and I so that we can believe and have eternal life? The problem is, we do not come to Jesus on our terms. We do not come to Jesus on what we think we know about him. The slow down for just a second. We do not come to Jesus on our terms. We do not come to Jesus on what we think we know about Jesus and how he should work the way we think he should work. God draws us to Jesus. Now, maybe it's because I knew what I was preaching this morning, but this morning, whenever Thomas prayed, he prayed that we would lean into God. Man, I like that. Because here we stand God's will versus my will. And the scriptures are, if God doesn't draw us, then your will doesn't mean jack squat. That's Greek for nothing. I'll probably get in trouble for saying that later. Anyway, we think so highly of ourselves. We come to this text and God is God, not you and I. So now what is our responsibility? What is our responsibility? Because we can't manipulate the creator of heaven and earth. We cannot manipulate the living God. We lean into him and we say, we say, I just need you. I need you. My daughter's not a hugger. And so I have to look for those opportunities when she's huggable because she doesn't like to be hugged. So she was sick this week. And after she got to feeling better, she comes wandering into the living room like a zombie. She says she's had a migraine headache. And I understand this. I, my heart goes out to her because I've, I've been sick like she has. So she comes in and she's moping. And she will come and she'll stand right in front of me. And she leans in. Like she's not going to come stick her body up against me. That would be weird. But she just kind of leans in. And because I'm a father, I know because I have discernment. She's ready to be hugged. And I'll hug her. Hug her with all I got. Because I love her. So what do we do with God the Father? We pray harder. 
We command, we manipulate, we give more, we go to church more, we try to be a better person, we do all these things, and God goes, uh, 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 uh. I don't do this because of what you do. We just come and we lean into God, and he goes, man, I love that. And he hugs us. It's a great place for an altar call, but I'm not there yet. Problem is, we do not come to Jesus on our terms. God draws us. We believe, we believe with our entire being that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. He is Lord over all, including being Lord over me. Now, I have a couple of frustrations that I'm going to vent, and then I'm going to be done. Well, I'm going to be partially done. All right, so a couple of frustrations. I'm going to go real fast. So, so um, uh, here's, here's kind of my perspective. It's a little bit of application from where we're at in the book of John, okay? So first, first, here's my first little vent. My first frustration is too many of our, too many of today's Christians are present in these verses today. Like the crowd in verse 27, we define who God is and how he should treat us based on our own imagination instead of reading God's revelation to man. We are doing Bible-free Christianity and it's costing us because what we're calling the truth is not the truth. We're not preaching God's message. We're preaching our own version of God's message. And it's not true. We conjure up our own God, and then we expect him to behave in a way that fits in with the confines of our own lifestyle, our own desires, and our own will. God, you can be God as long as you let me be in charge of everything. That's wrong. That's wrong. The second thing that kind of want to vent about, is very similar to the Pharisees in this story. We assume that we will find Jesus on our terms. I know the two are very closely related. But we think that we'll find Jesus on our terms. In other words, we can live flippantly until we're ready to find Jesus, until we're ready for salvation, until we get what we want, and then we'll come to Jesus. You know, we're looking forward to that deathbed experience so that I can live however I want all of my life, and in the last second, I'll turn to Jesus and have eternal life. Listen to me. Being a nice person, a good person, a moral person, that's you coming to Jesus on your terms. Uh, being a socially con conscious person doesn't get you to Jesus. Going to church, going to the, I put this in my notes because I think this is kind of funny. Going to church doesn't get you to Jesus. Going to the right church doesn't get you to Jesus, right? Because there's a little bit of emphasis in our culture now that, oh, you know, you're going to the wrong church. You got to, oh, it doesn't matter. You got to go to Jesus. Amen. That's, that's the issue. Uh, referring to yourself as a Christian does not make you a Christian. Getting your doctrine perfect doesn't make you a Christian. It makes you obnoxious. You can repeat me on that one. Just like the Pharisees, the church is searching. Listen carefully. I'm almost done. Just like the Pharisees, the church is searching for Jesus in all the nooks and crannies of religion. Instead of abandoning ourselves to God for him to reveal himself to us. We just lean in. God, I want your glory in my life. I want to give up my will for your will because your will is so much more great than mine. The text today proves that Jesus is the Messiah. He gives us the text so that we will believe and have eternal life.